0: The eternal Son of God, light of light, as the Nicene Creed has it, very God of very God, spent nine months developing in Mary's uterus. Jesus passed through her birth canal. He had to learn how to walk. The Word of God had to learn how to talk. He who calls the stars by name had to learn the names of everything just as you did. For ages on ages, his generous hand fed every creature on earth, and now it is he that has to be fed, spoon fed, drooling most of it down his chin like any other toddler. Welcome back to the Ransom Tar Podcast. I'm John Eldridge, and with me, Craig McConnell, and we're just sort of marveling here in the third week of Advent over the humility of the incarnation. I mean, Craig, what, what's your reaction to that? As you were reading that, John, my reaction is it's incomprehensible, actually. I mean, you could be talking about Greek gods or something. It's just really nine months in Mary's uterus passing through the the God of eternity. I mean, I'm just – I'm startled at how hard it is to really embrace the incarnation, the humility of Christ becoming man and the exquisite beauty of it the absolute exquisite beauty so here's what we're going to do gang um we're actually going to pick up in chapter 10 of beautiful outlaw this week and next just relishing in the humility of jesus in the incarnation in coming to earth as a man just oh just let this soak into us in some fresh ways humility. We've been running to and fro in the Gospels, picking up one treasure, then dashing off to find another like children on Christmas morning. Now I want to look at a moment from Jesus's life that is recorded in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. This honest prophet who spent his adult years in exile serving the Babylonian courts was given a number of startling glimpses into the future. Here, in my opinion, is the most dazzling of them all. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion, is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. From Daniel 7. The coronation of Jesus. Perhaps the most joyful, certainly the most triumphant moment in history, second only to the resurrection. For now, the glorious kingdom will come, the eternal summer romp of men and angels. His crowning ensures the triumph of a kingdom of laughter and beauty and life forever. But it was a long and circuitous road to that throne. No king has ever taken such a humble path. His first step is a staggering descent. The Son of God becomes a son of man. Let the same mind be in you. That was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, Philippians 2. Humbled himself? Humility hardly begins to describe the incarnation That's like saying it would be a humble thing for you to become a goldfish, to live in the bowl, in a fishy world, trying to help those other fishies become something more like phoenixes. It boggles the mind. The eternal Son of God, light of light, very God of very God, one substance with the Father, spent nine months developing in Mary's uterus. Jesus passed through her birth canal. He had to learn to walk. The Word of God had to learn to talk. He who calls the stars by name had to learn the names of everything, just as you did. This is a cup. Can you say cup? Cup. Or did you think that baby Jesus came into the world with the vocabulary of dictionary.com? For ages upon ages, his generous hand fed every creature on earth, and now it is he that has to be fed, spoon-fed, drooling most of it down his chin like any other toddler. The Son of God doesn't even know how to tie his shoes. Someone had to teach him how to tie those sandals. John the Baptist said none of us were worthy to untie. The rabbit goes around the tree and down through the hole, like that. Now, you try it. Picture seven-year-old Jesus in the shop out back, learning from Joseph how to use a hammer and a saw. He who hung galaxies in such perfect poise, like a hundred billion mobiles, has to be shown how to nail two boards together? I take my shoes off. The humility of this is beyond words. Remember, Jesus wasn't faking it when he took on his humanity. Think of the implications. He who never tires, never slumbers, accepted the need for sleep every night. How deep was the exhaustion that kept him dozing right through the gale, waves crashing over the boat? Jesus ate every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He needed to. He had to trim his toenails. He who clothes the lilies of the field with greater glory than Solomon's splendor had to do his laundry, squatting riverside, rinsing the dust from his worn garments like any other peasant. What about the humility of simply getting from here to there by means of walking? We read that Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and we don't pause to wonder, how far was that? more than 70 miles, a two- to three-day journey on foot, pushing sun up to sundown. If you bypassed Samaria, which most Jews did, it was a four- to five-day trip of 120 miles. When was the last time you walked three or four days straight? We pass right over phrases such as, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, as though it happened quick as we read it, like he ran across the street for a quart of milk. Bethany to Cana is roughly 60 miles. Back down to Jerusalem is another 45 plus. Jesus is making these trips all the time. He who once rode on the wings of the wind is now getting around only as fast as his two sore feet will carry him. Hours and hours, for days and months upon end, just walking. God who is in all places at all times, has to get from one place to another, like a guy who can't even come up with bus fare? The beauty of this is enough to make me weep. When time comes for Jesus to start the official campaign, here is how he enters public life. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented from Matthew chapter 3. Throngs are flooding to the Jordan to be baptized by John. The whole region is making their way to the river. Jesus files down Bankside with the rest of the crowd and takes a place in line. Nobody gives him a second glance. He's just another sun-baked Jew in robe and sandals, taking his turn like a guy at a deli waiting for his number to be called. John looks up from his several-hundredth baptizee and sees Jesus standing there. He is flabbergasted. He protests, Never in a million years could I do this. Jesus says, It's fine. This is a good thing. It's all right. And then he steps into the river, and John dunks him like the rest. It is an absolutely unimpressive story when compared with the men who think they've come to change the world. How do they usually get things rolling? Picture the scene in the movie Gladiator, typical to the inauguration of Roman emperors, where Commodus rides into Rome on a chariot like a conquering hero. Cheering mobs line the roads paid to attend to make a good impression. Amid all of the hollow pomp, the pompous fool gives a demure wave, feigning humble acceptance of the throne. It is appalling in its arrogance. When Saddam Hussein was ousted from his dictatorship, a good deal of coverage was given to public places in Iraq— What I found particularly disgraceful were the massive idols he had erected in his honor. Murals and statues of Hussein the Magnificent were plastered all over the country. A handsome and dashing military hero, bold, a man for the people, 40 years younger than he actually was, a demigod. Many dictators have done the same. Hitler did it. Chairman Mao, too. It's just creepy the self-obsession, the self-exaltation, the desire to be worshipped, and yet the only king who ever had the right to be worshipped shows up riverside at somebody else's revival and waits his turn. Afterward, there's no press conference, no sermon. Jesus just disappears for 40 days, and the only one who seems to notice is the wild Baptist in the camel skin. A day or two after his return, Jesus is just strolling by, and John, gripped with excitement, seizes his own pupils by the shoulders, and says, Look, look, there he is. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. From John 1. Rabbi, where are you staying? Oh, come on! Is that what they really want to ask? Their master just bet it all on this man. Don't you think they're dying to ask, Are you the Son of God, our Messiah? Are you really the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We're going to pause here at this moment and pick this up next week in the fourth week of Advent. But we offer it in hopes that the wonder, the beauty, but also the nearness of Jesus comes to you through these words as we celebrate the Advent season it is Jesus closing the gap it is God coming so near that he comes to us in his genuine humanity so may that be true, Jesus come to us, make yourself all the more real to us this month thanks for listening, it's been uh, such a joy to be with you through these Advent devotions, for more come to ransomedheart.com